You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. We turn this afternoon to Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. As you can see from the middle of chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is speaking here about his longing to see the Thessalonians, and that longing continues into chapter 3, verse 1, where, led by the Spirit of God, he writes, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. In connection with the ordination and installation of office bearers this afternoon, I've chosen to preach on the last three verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Those words, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, every community, every family, every church develops over time its own traditions. And one of our traditions as a church is that every spring we nominate, elect, appoint, and install new office bearers, new elders, and deacons. Yes, and today that time has arrived again as we proceed this afternoon to the ordination or installation of three deacons and six elders. Together with the deacons already in office, these three men 
shall see to the service of charity, as the form says in the congregation. And together with the elders and pastors already in office, these six men shall see to your spiritual needs as a congregation. And all of this, I might add, beloved, is a great thing. And it's also something that I'm sure in one way or another we tend to take for granted. For us, deacons, elders are common, normal, even kind of ordinary, one might say. We assume that they have always been there and always will be there. But yet that's not the case. One of the great challenges that our mission work in China faces is the introduction of deacons and elders. For there a form of Christianity has emerged that is ignorant about both with the result that there are no deacons and there are very few elders. And the result is also that the church is often ruled, governed, if not controlled, by one man. And that brings with it all sorts of unhealthy situations, as well as a lot of congregations whose needs simply are not being met. And so, beloved, be thankful, I would say to you this afternoon, for these men and for their offices. Respect them, speak well of them, listen to them, encourage them. They are another one of God's great gifts to you in Jesus Christ. Yes, and also something else, pray for them. Pray that they may exhibit the same spiritual qualities that the Apostle Paul exemplified and that he refers to in his prayer at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So, beloved, I'd like to preach to you this afternoon on the theme, Paul's impromptu prayer reveals, first of all, a servant's desire, secondly, a father's love, and thirdly, a shepherd's heart. Well, beloved, you may have noticed that the Apostle Paul has this strange, if not unique, habit sometimes of interrupting himself. He will be writing about a certain doctrine or teaching in one of his letters, and suddenly he stops and he begins to pray. It's as if he is so overtaken with the greatness of what the Spirit has revealed to him and what he is writing about that he just has to stop to praise and glorify God directly. He cannot wait. He has to do it now. Yes, so the same kind of thing, to some extent, is evident in our text of this afternoon. Paul has just received, as we've read, a very encouraging report from Timothy about the believers in Thessalonica. And he's busy commenting on that, and then suddenly he feels himself compelled to pray for them. And what does he pray for? Well, the first thing he prays for is that he may come to them. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Here he is expressing the hope that soon he, together with Timothy and Silas, will be able to meet them 
again. You may recall that Paul's previous visit to them had been rather short and abrupt. You find it described in Acts chapter 17. Paul had first, when he came to Europe, he'd first gone to Philippi, that Roman colony, where he'd had somewhat mixed results in terms of both success as well as opposition. And then after that, he had gone on to Thessalonica in the south, where he persuaded both Jews and a bunch of God-fearing Greeks to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, soon Jewish opposition had arose, and Paul was forced to flee. Well, now here in his letter, he expresses the desire to come back soon. But to come back, why? To renew old acquaintances, to see some more of the local sites, to promote his own reputation? No. Paul wants to come back to help them. As he says in verse 10, he wants to supply what is still lacking in their faith. Moreover, notice that he wants to come back in his capacity as a servant of God the Father and of his Son, Jesus Christ. His prayer begins with the words, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way. Paul realizes very well that he alone cannot clear the way. He cannot remove the obstacles. He has neither the power nor does he have the ability. He knows that he needs the help of his sender and his Savior. In other words, the apostle knows his limitations. There's only so much as a man that he can do. But at the same time, there is so much more that God the Father and God the Son can do. And so he prays that together they'll clear the way. Clear the way for him to go back to Thessalonica. And he prays that they'll do it soon. And that he can come back to serve both God's will and the needs of God's people there. In short, Paul knows himself, and you can see that from these words, to be dependent on the help, the grace, the power of his masters. He is but a servant. And servants always look to their masters. And I would say, beloved, that there perhaps lies the first great lesson of our text of this afternoon. Also for these men who are going to be installed and ordained into their respective offices. And I might add, brothers, you are not being inducted into office as freelancers, as independent agents, as self-made men. No, all of you are really nothing more than servants, servants of the same God and Father and the same Savior as the Apostle Paul. And that means that you ultimately are just as dependent on the Father and the Son as the Apostle was. You'll not be able to serve well without their help, their guidance, their power, and their blessing. You need to pray 
just as the Apostle Paul did, that God will clear away any and all obstacles that come your way as you exercise your office. And you together with all of the members here need to ask God to bless and to use these men to serve the glory of his name and the well-being of you as a congregation. And so the Apostle Paul's first request to God is about removing obstacles. And I might add, no doubt, as you do your work in the congregation, you will find your share of obstacles and challenges and burdens and tasks. In this sinful world, we're never far from the negative sides of life, even in and among believers. So the first thing is remove the obstacles. The second thing, notice, is in this prayer all about love. Now, there is a lot of love in Thessalonica. In chapter 1, Paul comments on the fact that their work and labor for the Lord is prompted by love. Quite simply, they are not serving God to prove themselves or because there is a stick behind the door, nor are they being motivated by a desire to earn spiritual brownie points. Now, what drives them is their love for God. Love prompts them. But you know, that's not the only love here. For next, Paul reveals an even deeper and prior love. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he writes, For we know, brothers, loved by God. Not only do they love God, but God loves them. Yes, and this in turn, if you look closely, is tied to his election. Paul writes, For we know, brothers, and that includes the sisters too, by the way, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. God chose them already before time. God called them in time. And over time, God worked in them with the power of His Holy Spirit and the result, a harvest of love. The love of God leads to love for God. So now Paul prays for this love. He prays that it may increase more and more. He prays that it may even overflow. He prays that it may be directed at God, at their fellow believers, and at everyone else that they meet. And finally, he prays that their love may be similar to the love that he and Timothy and Silas have for the Thessalonian believers. Some of them, there's a lot of love here. And we may even find it somewhat overdone. We may also be itching to qualify it, you know, to tone it down a little bit and, or perhaps even add a whole bunch of qualifiers to it. But be careful, beloved. You're not allowed to revise the contents of this apostolic spirit-driven prayer. You and I are called to hear this to heed this, to practice it, respect it, and honor it. Being a true believer is not just a matter of right confessing. It's also a matter of right loving and relating. 
Well, you know, it's almost as if Paul, as a spiritual father, calls on his children in Thessalonica and elsewhere to major in love. You know, one of the hallmarks that sets the church of Jesus Christ apart in this world is that we are called to be a community of love. And you know, whenever and wherever this does not happen in a local church, that church is seriously out of step with the will of its God and Father. As church, we need to love and to be loved. And also to to help be that, God has given deacons to his church. You know, when, when love was threatened in the early New Testament church because some of the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, God stepped in and called for deacons. Famine, hunger, unemployment, sickness, want. All of these things can so easily rob life of its joy and make it ugly. But now there are deacons to see to the good progress, as the form says, the good progress of charity, of love in the church. Now there are deacons to distribute the gifts of Christ's love to those who are in need. And so we can say the deacons that are about to be installed, ordained here this afternoon, along with the other deacons in this church, are actually to oil the wheels of God's love in this congregation. Of course, we all need to pray for it and to practice it. But these brothers have a special calling to promote the health and the prominence of this love in the church of Jesus Christ. So notice then, beloved, Paul calls for the obstacles to be removed. He prays as well for love to abound. And one more thing, he prays that the Father and the Son will lead the Thessalonian believers to maturity. As he says, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. You know, one day we're all going to be standing before the Lord, our God and Father. Maybe that's not in your agenda, but it'll happen. It's not a matter of if, it's simply a matter of when. One day you and I, each and every one of us, will stand before the God, we'll stand before the throne, and that's not in doubt. What may, however, be in doubt is just how we will stand there. Will we stand there dressed in the filthy rags of sin and disobedience, or will we stand before God as defiled, polluted, sin-infested people? Just how will we stand there? 
Now notice it's Paul's prayer that the believers in Thessalonica and all of the believers everywhere will stand before the throne of God as blameless and holy people. That means as people redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, as people sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see in that, you can hear the Apostle Paul speaking, as it were, as a shepherd. If you're a shepherd, you major in many things. You're supposed to guide the sheep, you're supposed to feed the sheep, you're supposed to defend them, but you're especially supposed to lead them. To lead them to streams of water and to fertile pastures. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul wants to lead the believers in Thessalonica and elsewhere to that great day when Christ Jesus is going to come back on the clouds of heaven with all of his angels and will all appear before God. Only he wants us to stand there as saved sheep, as cleansed sheep, as holy sheep. As forgiven sheep. And then, and only then, will his task be done. And you know, in a sense, the same applies to these brothers. It applies especially to you who are elders. You're supposed, among other things, to lead the sheep. You're to care for them. You're to love them. But you're also to lead them in such a way that when the Savior does return, they will be ready and clothed right. And that means decked not in the old garments of sin, but in the new garments of salvation. You see, as a shepherd, you always need to keep one eye fixed on the future. On that great day that's surely coming, when all the sheep are going to be assembled before the face of God. And your aim is to make sure that when they stand there, they will be dressed right, dressed in Christ, dressed in holiness, dressed in the white robes, of redemption. And so may our gracious God equip you, brothers, in such a way that the sheep in your care may arrive properly at their destination and ready, truly ready, with a great graduation. Brothers, if you serve as a servant, promote love as a father, Guide as a shepherd, you will be blessed, and this congregation will be blessed through you and in you. May our gracious God mercifully and graciously make it so. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.